Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 6? John chapter 6, and we're going to meet in verse 22 and read through verse 27. I'd like you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from mine. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Have you ever gone to the doctor and uh, gone in and sat down and the doctor comes into the room and says, So why are you here today? Right? That's what they say. That's why I think that's what they train them to say in medical school. When you first see your patient, say, so why are you here today? That's what they all say, isn't it? So why are you here today? Did you know? Did you ever notice your mechanic does that too? And you take your car to him? They must have gone to the same school or something. I don't know. And you take, when you go to your mechanic, he says, so why are you here today? Like, well, I'm, you know, something wrong with my car, obviously, right? But he wants to know what's wrong. Have you ever come to church and had somebody say, so why are you here today? Right? You've never had anybody ever say that? Let me be the first. Okay? And in all seriousness, why are you here today? You ever think about why you go to church? Why you call, maybe you call yourself a follower of Christ? Why are you here today? You know, we see something here in the text today that is a serious challenge to our motives as to why we follow Christ. You know, when you first when you first heard of Christ, when you were first when you first were attracted to Christ, you may have been attracted to Christ for for what you could get. You ever do you remember ever thinking that way? Maybe some of you were there at some point. You you began to think that, you know, this Christianity thing, this Bible stuff, this church stuff seems appealing in some way, and, and I'm sure there's maybe some way I could gain from this. I wonder how I might be able to gain from knowing about this Jesus. You know, that was exactly the case with these who were looking for Christ on the day after they had eaten their fill. Remember, it said they had eaten their fill. Jesus Christ 
fed 5,000 plus women and children with what? With five small loaves and two fish. And his disciples began to pass this food out. And as they passed the food out, there was plenty. And as they kept passing the food out, there was still plenty. And as they continued to pass the food out, there was still plenty. And as the people witnessed this, they were witnessing a miracle at the hands of, of Christ. And the next day, they're determined to follow Christ. They're, well, they're, they're determined to follow Christ because evidently they, they're, they, they're looking for Him, right? And if you're looking for Christ, you want to follow Him, right? But the question we have to ask is, why are they looking for Him? And the text answers that question for us. And, and I think it steps on our toes at the same time. They're looking for Him, all right. But why? At first, we might think they're looking for Christ out of sincerity. They've seen His miracles. They've been impressed by His miracles. Let's face it, you and I would be impressed, right? We would say, you know, um, pull up to McDonald's and order, um, you know, a couple of filet of fish and, and extra buns. And go out in the parking lot and split it up and start passing it around and nobody went back inside and there's... 5,000 plus being fed from that little bit of food we just carried out. We'd be impressed, right? Jesus didn't need a McDonald's, did He? <laughs> he didn't need that. And the people were impressed. And the next day, what do they do? They've got to find this guy. Okay, we got to find Him. He's the one who fed, our, fed us our fill, gave us all we needed. There was, there was all we needed and then some. We're not careful. At first, we might look at them and say, huh, look at that. They want to believe in Jesus. They want to follow Him for who He is. Verse 22 says, though, that the crowd saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered that boat with His disciples. And then verse 24 says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They want to follow Christ, right? So they're figuring out, let's see, where did He go? Let's find out where He went. Let's go there. And there's even evidence here, even as I read it there, you might have got a, a, a touch of this evidence there in verses 22 to 24 that the people are beginning to kind of put two and two together. Things are beginning to add up in their minds. Let's see, we saw that He sent the disciples and they got in a boat and went that way and He went up on the mountain that way and there was that storm last night, and I wonder what happened to the guys in the boat. But let's see. I never did anybody see Jesus go? Did, did anybody see Jesus get in a boat? And you know, kind of confused, and they're thinking, "Remember the bread thing and the fish thing yesterday? That that was pretty miraculous, wasn't it?" I wonder where you suppose that he kind of like went from one place to another in, in a miraculous way. I, you can almost. I, I don't know if they were saying those kinds of things, but I'm but I'm guessing that they were beginning to put two and two together, and they were beginning to think, boy, there's something really special about this this man Jesus, obviously. So what do they do? They get into boats and they head to Capernaum, and and when they get there, they find the disciples and they find Jesus together. And and listen to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him. And you can see kind of the evidence that they're beginning to think there was something miraculous about how he got here. Uh, their question was, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
When did you come here? And we might think, you know, look, add up all the miracles that you've witnessed already. Add up all the miracles that you've heard others bring witness of. And you would think that they ought to be beginning to be true believers. (laughs) But are they? Are they? As we've seen demonstrated repeatedly in these first five chapters of of John's Gospel, as, as we've studied together, Jesus knows something about the heart of man, right? He knows the heart of man thoroughly. There isn't anything about the heart of man he doesn't know. And Jesus knows the hearts of these people whom, verse 24 says, are seeking him. And he goes, what does he do? He goes straight to the heart of the matter. Did you notice that he doesn't actually answer the question they asked? Verse 26, Jesus answered them. But it ought to say, parenthetically, that he didn't answer their question. He did answer them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus doesn't really answer the question that they asked, but he gives them the answer they needed to hear. You realize that? Would it have helped them for him to say, well, I actually got here by walking on water last night. They didn't need to hear that anymore because they had seen the miracles. And he knew their hearts. He knew they were there to have their stomachs filled again. You know, sometimes, and we noted it last week, sometimes God answers our prayers just the way we pray them even though that's really not what's best for us in the short term. But he answers them that way because that is what's going to be good for us in the long term because we haven't quite learned our lesson yet. So he says, okay, you really want that. Remember, I kind of thought I saw that with with Peter, right? When he says, Lord, call me and I'll come and walk on the water. And Jesus says, okay, come. And then he has little faith and starts going down and Jesus is right there, right? Because Jesus knows that Peter needs, and we need, more faith. And he, need, he knows that these people don't need more food. They need faith. And God knows that sometimes we still have lessons to learn. And so he says, okay, I'm going to give you what you're asking for, but this really isn't what you need. But then there's the other side of it. Sometimes God answers our prayer, and his answer is very different than our prayer. And he gives us just what we need in spite of our request. And that's the case here. They came looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they wanted to know if if they were indeed witnessing another miracle. How did you get here? Now, some might look at the adoring crowds who sought after Christ and found, found him in Capernaum and say, What faith? What faith that they have to, to follow him this far and go to such trouble. What faith? They, they must believe in him for sure. But that's not what Jesus saw. Jesus didn't see their faith. They didn't have faith in him. He knew their hearts and he questioned their true motive. And he gets right to the heart of the matter. Verse 26 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. how quickly Jesus gets to the truth. He does not beat around the bush. 
And yet, you know, I think we're prone today to look at the look at a, a passing interest in someone whom we really want we really want them to be a child of God. We really want them to be believers, and we see a passing interest from them in Jesus. Maybe they attend church. Maybe they have a heritage of faith. Maybe their parents are believers. And we would just we just want to consider that they we just want to hope that they're believers and we just want to just give them the benefit of the doubt. They must be believers. If we're not careful, we'd look at these people coming and, and we'd say, well, they must really believe. But Jesus knows their hearts, doesn't he? And he knows what they really needed. He quickly gets to the truth. And what they needed to learn and what we must learn is that Jesus knows the true state of our hearts. You know, we might be able to fool each other, but you can't fool God. He knows if we truly believe in him. He knows why we're here today. You know that? He knows if we truly trust him as Lord and Savior. For we, we, He knows if we truly believe in his son. And believe that His shed blood was sufficient to wash away our sins. He knows if we believe in Him. He knows too if we're just here for our own short-term benefit. He knows if we truly believe in Him for who He is and not for what we can get this side of heaven. We're not going to fool Him. J.C. Ryle writes, The Lord Jesus, we should never forget, is still the same. He never changes. He reads the secret motives of all who profess and call themselves Christians. He knows exactly why they do all they do in their religion, the reasons why they go to, the church, go to church and why they receive communion, why they attend family prayers and why they keep Sundays holy. All are naked and open to the eyes of the great head of the church. By him, actions are weighed as well as seen. And then quoting 1 Samuel 16, 7, Man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let us be real, true, and sincere in our religion, whatever else we are, says Ryle. The sinfulness of hypocrisy is very great, but its folly is greater still. It is not hard to deceive ministers, relatives, and friends. A little decent outward profession will often go a long way, but it is impossible to deceive Christ. His eyes are as a flame of fire, so says Revelation 1.14. He sees us through and through. Happy are those who can say, Yes, Lord, who know all things. Yes, Lord, who know all things. Know that we love you. And I think as Ryle points out rightly, there is great folly there is great folly in what I'll call misplaced affections. You realize that? There is great folly in misplacing your affections. That's why Jesus challenged their true motives that day with what they truly needed. Verse 27, look at it again, would you? When he says to them, and he says to us, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You hear that? He'll give you. He'll give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Jesus says 
Do not labor for the food that perishes. And just in case you're wondering, what he is not saying is that they are not to work for their food. He's not suggesting laziness or or that there is something wrong with work. Is it wrong to work? Certainly not. Work is actually necessary. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, believers are clearly reminded that if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And just hear that. If he's not willing to work, I'm not saying you can't work, but not willing to work. And God's Word is clear about this. There's nothing wrong with work. Actually, work is helpful for us. It's good for us. It's necessary. It actually helps provide for our needs. So Jesus was not condoning idleness or slothfulness or condemning work to meet your needs. But what Jesus is admonishing is excessive attention to work. So much so that that you neglect your soul in the process. Because evidenced in the true desires of the hearts of these individuals who came to him that day, and they had witnessed at Jesus' hands these miracles, evidenced in their true desires was where they really longed to be and what it was they, they really wanted from Jesus. They wanted to be at his side so that they would benefit from the food, so that he would provide for their needs physically. They wanted their stomachs filled again. And Jesus admonishes them and corrects them and challenges them not to say that you shouldn't work, but to say that work shouldn't be the the main thing in your life. You should not forget your spiritual needs. You should not forget the needs of your soul. They came looking for Christ because they wanted more. More healing. They wanted more food, more of anything that would make them happy and comfortable now. They just wanted more of whatever Jesus was giving. And all the while, they weren't a bit concerned for being spiritually prepared for eternity. You realize that could describe us today? That we could be coming because we have in our minds some idea, if if I'll just do the things that a Christian is supposed to do, maybe God will be good to me, especially good to me. Today would be really good. You see, they were more concerned with what only met today's needs to the neglect of the food that endures to, to eternal life. They had, they had misplaced their affections. And there's a challenge there for us today to be very careful that we don't, we don't find ourselves numbered amongst them with misplaced affections. You realize that they weren't alone. They're not alone in this department of misplacing their affections. Theirs was a common problem, a very common problem. Back in Exodus chapter 16, we find the Israelites, remember them? And how God rescued them from their oppressors. And how did they thank Him? you remember how they thanked Him? you remember how the Israelites thanked God? <laughs> they, they didn't. They complained. They grumbled. They actually complained about being rescued because in captivity, they'd actually had plenty to eat. They were more concerned with food than with honoring God. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And you realize they were grumbling against God too, right? And verse 3 says, And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God, take us back and kill us yourself in captivity because there we had plenty of food. And we hear that and we say, how tragic, right? And we go, how foolish. You know what? God was gracious. If, if we kept reading there, we'd find out that God heard their grumbling and their complaining. And you know what he did? In spite of their grumbling and complaining, he, he met their needs. <laughs> he filled their bellies. That's what they thought their real needs were. Though they grumbled, they too had misplaced affections, but God provided manna to satisfy their hunger. God was so gracious to take their grumbling and complaining and say, you know what, in spite of your bad attitude, I'm going to bless you with what you need. And you know what, if I went around the room today and asked what your greatest need was, I wonder if you might overwhelmingly point to food that perishes instead of the food that endures to eternal life. You know, I wonder if we might overwhelmingly say, what's my greatest need? My greatest need is, and I wonder if many of us would not point to our spiritual needs first. You know, we so often find ourselves with our attention fixed on temporary, temporary things, don't we? Those temporal things, those, those meaningless things, those things that do not last, those things that can be gone like that. We so often find ourselves transfixed on the things that in, in, in view of eternity are completely worthless. We so often find ourselves with our attention fixed on those temporary things. And no doubt, often some of those temporary things are very important things for this life. But don't mean anything for the life to come for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Often the things that we get, get caught up in, giving our energy to, our effort to, our worries to, our, our sweat to, are those things that, that don't last, that do not endure, that cannot compare by any stretch of your imagination to the eternal life that Jesus Christ gives those who believe in Him. They do not compare. Now I want you to note something here. What Jesus pointed those who were seeking him to was to laboring for those things that endure to eternal life. And that, that, that idea of laboring, some have said, well, there you go. We've got to work for our salvation. Jesus says labor, that, labor for those things that endure to eternal life. But that's not, not what he's saying. We know that because, for one thing, that's not the testimony of Scripture. Some would, some would say he's suggesting that we work for our salvation, but he's not suggesting that labor, that they labor for their salvation or that we labor for ours. This is not works salvation. We know this because, again, the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is not works salvation and because Jesus' own words here in verse 27, do, do not miss them. Because he says he will give them. He will give them that thing that endure, endures for eternity. Right? So here's what endures. And understand what Jesus is talking about. 
Labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Here's, here's what endures. It's salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. That's what endures. That's what endures. Do you realize salvation, and Jesus says it here, salvation is a gift. Do you realize that? And some of us who have been followers of Christ for some time forget that our salvation is a gift. You did not earn it, and you cannot pay Him back for it. Because it is a gift of, of highest value. Salvation is a gift. It costs you nothing. But you realize it's the only thing, the only thing with eternal value? Your salvation in Jesus Christ is the only thing with eternal value. It has far more value than, than anything on earth. It, it has far more value than everything on earth. If you could imagine everything on earth being yours. <laughs> Some of you could. It's like, yeah, I think I could imagine that. Everything on earth would be mine. <clears throat> Worthless compared to salvation in Jesus Christ. Your salvation cost Jesus His life. But it means eternal life for you. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, He gave His life so that you would trust in Him and believe in Him today and be saved eternally. And that is what's most important for those who are followers of Christ. Pursuing Christ's likeness is how we labor, right? Is how we labor for those things that endure to eternal life. And we don't serve, we don't, we don't serve to be Christ-like to, to pay Him back for what He's given us, but we serve to be Christ-like because He's changed us. And He is changing us. And we want to honor and glorify Him. So this is what it is to labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, is to believe in Jesus Christ and keep on believing. Once He has saved you, you keep your trust and faith in Him and you live a life of obedience and trust. And note how we can know that Jesus is able to save those who believe in Him. Jesus says this at the end of verse 37. Look at it again. For on Him, speaking of Himself, God the Father has set His seal. Does that sound like a seal of approval? That's what we're talking about here. He's been sent by God, approved by God, by God's authority, with God's authority, with God's power. He is God in flesh. And all our spiritual food, all our best food, not that you don't need physical food, but if you only you are only concerned with physical food, you are neglecting the most important food, the spiritual food. 
that is yours because of Christ. And all our spiritual food, all our best food, our only food that lasts is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. But once we're Christ, you might be thinking, you know, once we're Christ, what is it to, to labor if Jesus paid the price and salvation is a gift? I mean, Jesus paid the price, right? And you, you, we don't pay Him back by our obedience. What is it to labor as a believer? Let me quote J.C. Ryle again when he says, We must labor in the use of all appointed means. We must read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. We must wrestle earnestly in prayer like men contending with a deadly enemy for life. We must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear like those who listen to the reading of a benefactor's will. We must fight daily against sin, the world, and the devil, like those who fight for liberty and must conquer or be slaves. These are the ways we must walk in if we would find Christ and be found of Him. This is laboring. This is the secret of getting on about our souls. He's right. We, we dare not take lightly the gift of God, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. We dare not take lightly the gift of God and misplace our affections on those things that are temporal. We must not misplace our affection, misplace our energy, nor misplace our priorities Because the consequences are devastatingly eternal. Just think with me for a moment about this. Is an eternity separated from God and His glory in eternal torment worth any of the trinkets in this world? Is it worth all of the trinkets in this world? It is not worth all of the comforts in this world. Sadly, we'll see it in one of our future studies, Lord willing. Sadly, later we learn in verse 66 that many failed to believe in Jesus and they stopped following him. That is tragic. Tragically, their affections were misplaced. Warren Wearsby points to this tragedy of misplaced affections when he writes, In grace, our Lord fed the hungry people, but in truth, he gave them the word of God. They wanted the food, but they did not want the truth. And in the end, most of them abandoned Jesus and refused to walk with him. How tragic to misplace your affections. Do you realize that even if you're a believer today, even if you've already repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you can misplace your affections as you are supposed to be walking with Christ? Our 
Are your affections misplaced? Let God's Word challenge you today to do some self-examination, self-examination of the heart. Let me ask you, are you only concerned with today's food, today's needs, for what Christ can do for you today? Or have you made Christ your all? Is it your desire to live for the glory of Christ and not your own comfort? Do not misplace your affections. As Jesus says in verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, so grateful for Jesus Christ, the Son, and for His sacrifice on our behalf that we might look to the Lamb of God and believe and be saved and have our sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And God, today I pray that You would encourage and challenge Your people to be very careful about putting a higher priority on the things that are only temporary than on the things that are eternal. God, help us to be a people who who love Your Word and desire to know it more and know You more through it. God, help us to be a people who yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when, when You convict of sin in our hearts. And You encourage and challenge us to be obedient to You and strengthen us to be obedient to You. Help us to yield. And God, help us to be eternally grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf that we might look to the bread of life and look away from the bread of this earth that's only temporary. Lord, help us to work and be faithful and studious, hard workers that bring honor to Your name by our faithfulness and our work. But God, help us to not be so short-sighted as to think that work is everything and that things of a spiritual nature are second place. God, help us to honor and glorify You in our lives. And God, I pray that, that unbelievers this morning would realize how serious this is to misplace their affections. They, they may be with us in the service this morning here in church, and we would say, praise the Lord that they're here. But God, I pray, open their hearts, eyes to see the depth of their depravity without Christ and how desperately they need forgiveness of sins and how desperately they need to partake of the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Lord, help them to turn to You, repenting of sin, believing in Jesus Christ for their own sake, for their salvation. They might live fully in Christ, by Christ, by the blood of Christ shed for them and by the power of the Word and the Spirit and might be obedient to You with their lives. Help us, each one, Lord, not to misplace our affections and live a life that's unexamined. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.